If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome from Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. Would you bow your heads with me? I know, girl. (laughs) Just two more sleeps until Halloween, Holy One. Then we get to put on our costumes to visit the neighbors and shout, trick or treat, while ringing the doorbell. Some like to argue that churches should offer alternatives to Halloween, like a festival with only happy costumes allowed. Then there are the churches who do their own terrifying take on Halloween, as has been memed. Hell houses were a wild concept, like church literally said, we need to get in on this Halloween thing. What's the scariest thing we can think of? And the answer was, our theology. The truth is that people knock on the church door the other 364 days of the year asking, trick or treat? Too many times the church has only tricked people. They say all are welcome only to keep women out of the pulpit and deny sacraments to the queer community. They say God is love only to send people to hell. They say Jesus is the way, only to deny people what he offered, health care, justice, and belonging. Help us to use Halloween as a reminder, Holy One, that the church is supposed to treat, not trick. May we treat everyone as fearfully and wonderfully made. May we treat our enemies with love. May we treat the least of these to the best of things. With hearts wide open, we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, verses 1 through 12. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. 
And the Lord showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, and Negeb and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. The Lord said to Moses, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. Then Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the Lord's command. He was buried in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His sight was unimpaired and his vigor had not abated. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the period of mourning for Moses was ended. Joshua, son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him and the Israelites obeyed him, doing as the Lord had commanded Moses. Never since has there arisen a prophet in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unequaled for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh and all his servants and his entire land, and for all the mighty deeds and all the terrifying displays of power that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Friends, I confess that the art and science of preaching has been harder than usual. It is not supposed to be easy, of course, but good grief. While most preachers I know take great care and preparation every single week, reading, studying, being in conversation with God and with others, and praying that the Spirit would show up the moment the laptop opens, this is even more true in times of grief and fear and war and rumors of war and in moments when we are on the precipice of doing things that cannot be undone. And we are really in it these days. The quagmire in Washington, D.C. is more troubling than ever. Our government reached an unprecedented level of dysfunction in electing a new speaker, then piled on justifiable concerns with the one that was finally chosen. And just as we are approaching another deadline to keep the government solvent and operating, which will require compromise, grit, and grace, which seem to be in short supply, Another mass shooting deepens our concern that despite overwhelming support for sensible gun control, the industry will continue to have its way and we will have to keep burying our beloveds who died because assault weapons turn every time and every place into the wrong time and the wrong place. And of course, there is the necessary work of finding wisdom and courage in speaking on Israel and Palestine and not just one or two Sundays, for the crisis is not limited to one weekend or to two sermons or the last three weeks, but is ongoing and threatens to explode into a global conflict. Biblically responsible and socially significant preaching is the standard, of course, but its importance seems even greater these days. It has been tempting to cherry-pick scripture, to abandon the lectionary in favor of using a text of the preacher's own choosing to make the point the 
preacher wants to make, or maybe just preach something nice. <laughs> if you are not familiar with the lectionary, don't worry. I hadn't heard of it until I went to seminary, primarily because I was raised in the Southern Baptist tradition. Baptists tend to be less familiar with the lectionary, given our penchant for nonconformity. So in case you haven't had the chance to learn this yet, the Revised Common Lectionary is a three-year cycle of recommended texts for us to use in work or study on a particular day of the year. It's not just for preachers. You can use it too. The text leads the reader through much, but not all of, the Bible, streamlining themes and emphases so they relate to the different seasons of the church year. The lectionary isn't the end-all be-all, of course, but it can act as a safeguard against preferential preaching. What Reverend Amy Butler, a fellow preacher woman raised in the Southern Baptist Church, says is true. I've found that when Sunday's pulpit is looming and I have no idea what to say, the assigned lectionary text helps me remember that those 20 or so minutes in the pulpit every week are not either an opportunity to showcase everything I learned in seminary, nor an occasion to hog the microphone for the purpose of pontificating on whatever happened to be on my mind when I woke up that morning. Instead, good preaching is one of the most effective leadership tools a pastor has at her disposal, a perpetual opportunity to open the text and invite the people of God into regular conversation about eternal truths that speak to immediate concerns. Eternal truths about immediate concerns. Wildly, the we this week's lectionary alternative first reading from the Old Testament seems to be right on the nose when it comes to today's immediate concern of Israel and Palestine. As you heard, the first third of the reading is God telling Moses the land which was sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And indeed, we find those promises in Genesis 12. We read, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Then the promise is reiterated to Isaac in Genesis 26. To you and your descendants, I will give all of these lands, and I will fulfill the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all of these lands. Yahweh repeats the promise to Isaac's son, Jacob, in Genesis 28. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. The same promise is reiterated in the tradition of Moses in Exodus 3, verse 8. There are plenty of pulpits, lectionary following or not, who claim that the eternal truth about the immediate concern of the Holy Land is that this text is proof that Israel has first rights to the land and that America should support that fight by any means necessary. On its face, the text appears, along with the additional stories to which it alludes, to have a very direct message about our policy position this is certainly the hot take 
of many evangelical churches and Fox News. They have used this text as justification. But as theologian Walter Brueggemann explains, it is important in any case to recognize that the Bible refuses to speak in a single voice. It argues with itself, and we must avoid simplistic reductionist readings of any ilk. Any straight line reading from ancient text to contemporary issues is sure to be suspect in its oversimplification. Such a reading disregards the huge impact of historical distance between the text and our current context. Such a straight line reading ignores historical distance is likely to be propelled by an ideology that is by a deeply held conviction that is immune to critical thought and is unswayed by argument, by reason, or by facts on the ground. That is, it disregards the complexities in the process of interpretation. A one-dimensional, uncritical appropriation of the ancient land promises for the state of Israel is exactly such a conviction that is immune to critical thought, reason, or facts on the ground. The work of faithful interpretation and informed reading, however, is to attend to the complexities that revitalize such convictions. Responsible interpretation must pay attention to the disruptions that break open our long and deeply held preferences. The matter of ideological simplification versus responsible reading that pays attention to historical distance and interpretive complexity when transposed into social power becomes a contest between tribalism versus communitarian attentiveness to the other. Tribalism, often in the Christian practice expressed as sectarianism, tends to absolutize its claims to the exclusion of all else. The tribe or sect characteristically imagines that it has a final formula formulation, a final interpretation. Absolutionist readings of the Bible lead to violent actions against one's opponent. To read the text this morning as if the lectionary has simply dropped into our laps a clear-cut response to the current crisis is biblically irresponsible and intellectually dishonest. And we know this because other texts, other sacred scripture, include some qualifiers on today's text. In the extended speeches of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses sets forth a set of commandments and ordinances that must be kept if the land of promise is to be retained. Moses warns Israel against the temptation to self-sufficiency that leads to disobedience and thus to land forfeiture. He says, do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord so that it may go well with you and so that you may go in and occupy the good land that the Lord swore to your ancestors to give you. The capstone of this conditional if is the long recital of blessings and curses in Deuteronomy chapter 28, in which obedience to the Torah becomes a prerequisite for holding the land. It is clear that the Deuteronomic if 
challenges the unconditional promise to the ancestors. Thus, we may conclude that the land is given to Israel unconditionally, but it is held by Israel conditionally. We may also conclude that this unmistakable tension in the tradition ensures that different advocates will be drawn to different texts, as the textual tradition itself yields no single verdict. All of which is to say that the thing we can be sure of is that the text itself is not telling us anything. We are interpreting it. And that is where and how we see what our theology is. And this is why we treat the text with reverence, careful not to use it as a weapon. The good news is that even though this text isn't the quote-unquote easy button on the Holy Land that the talking heads would have us believe, it still contains multitudes of eternal truths that have the power to hold us together and to order our steps in these days where we really have to walk and chew gum at the same time. That is, we have to engage in faithful discernment while we are facing difficult days of international, national, community, and personal crises. In the text, Moses is in a now and not yet time, writes theologian Catherine Schiffer-Decker. He stands on the border of the promised land, but will not enter there. A simple reading of the text suggests that Moses is prevented from entering the promised land because of a story we find in the 20th chapter of Numbers. But as we have discussed, there are other texts that suggest that other interpretations are possible. In Numbers, it is written that Moses' punishment for not sticking to God's plan is that he won't get to enter the promised land. But in Deuteronomy, we read that God is angry with the Israelites for their lack of trust, and as their leader, Moses is included in the punishment. Even with me, the Lord was angry on your account, Moses says, saying, you also shall not enter there. No mention is made of the story in Numbers, so one can argue then that it is ambiguous as to why Moses is not permitted to enter the promised land. What is plain, though, is that while Moses knew he would never enter the land, despite the disappointment and the unfulfilled dream, Moses spends his whole life getting the people as close to it as he possibly can. He did not quit. He did not abandon the work. He did not opt out or tune out. He kept his hand to the plow. We, we recognize the feeling of being in a now and not yet time trusting in promises that have not yet been fulfilled, but living by faith nonetheless. The difficult, no one likes to hear it truth is that not a single one of us have been promised entry into the promised land, but we have 
been called to keep walking towards it, to get those around us as close to it as we possibly can, to hold the vision of our communities that will, instead of banning books, ban assault weapons, to hold a vision of our country where everyone enjoys life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, to hold the vision of our world where it is on earth as it is in heaven. One of the most striking uses of this text is in the speech given by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on April 3rd, 1968, the night before he was assassinated. He addressed the crowd in Memphis saying, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will, and he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. That great modern-day prophet used the story of Israel's first great prophet to speak of hope and faith to a people who needed it. So let us remind each other that together we will take the next faithful step, and then the next faithful step, and then the next faithful step and we will keep taking the next faithful step, trusting that it will get us to where we need to go. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.